Hallelujah. Well, good morning, family. Thank you guys so much. I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that is dear to me, near to me, and I had to rename this message after writing it and preparing it a couple of times to get it right where I wanted because the subject I'm going to talk to you about really scared me when I was a young person. It frightened me as a teenager. It was a subject that um, as I reflected upon it and thought about it, I, it kind of depressed me, and I want to talk to you about the righteousness of God and tell you about a little experience that I had years and years ago that helped me with this. And so I've entitled this message, Thanks God for Being Righteous. Thanks God for Being Righteous. I was in a meeting this week or with an influencer and a thinker, and he was telling me that there is a dramatic decrease of pastors that are leaving the ministry, a dramatic drop of ministry. As a matter of fact, when we <clears throat> got together, he said, please tell me you're not thinking about leaving the ministry. And I says, oh, no. And he goes, during COVID, <clears throat> pardon me, during COVID, there's been a 900% increase in counseling cases. People have just been so dramatically impacted by the COVID crisis. He says, and part of the fallout of that is how many pastors would have seen been leaving the ministry. And he said, when I got your name, he says, oh no. He says, here's another one. And I said, oh no. I was telling about my dream and my vision and had a good time and a good conversation. So one of the reasons I think that I've managed to stay healthy in ministry is because I've never seen it as my job to convict people. I've never seen it as my job to straighten people out. In our first church in the rural mountains of North Georgia, I met a funeral home director, an undertaker, and uh, he was telling me that he used to be a pastor. And I said, you're kidding. He goes, no, I was a pastor. And I'm sure what he's telling me was a joke, but... Um, it just kind of stuck with me. He, and I said, well, why did you leave the ministry? And he goes, well, he said, I tried to help old John and straighten him out, but I could never straighten him out. He said, I tried to help the Smith family with their marriage, and I could never get them straightened out. He said, and there was a woman named Susan in my congregation. I tried to straighten her out, and I could never straighten Susan out. He says, so I just finally gave up. He says, now that I'm a funeral director, when I straighten people out, they stay straightened out. And as I've reflected on that through the years, I realized that if you see it as your job to straighten people out, you're constantly going to be dealing with this frustration that just kind of keeps you up at night and keeps you in turmoil. I trust the Holy Spirit, don't you? I trust the Holy Spirit. When Charles Spurgeon would come to the pulpit every Sunday morning, it said that while he was walking up to the pulpit, he would just be saying under his breath, I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what he was doing was professing his faith, not in his preaching abilities, and he was a great preacher, not in his abilities to build a church. He built a great church, built a great college, but he was professing his faith and his commitment in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to draw people's hearts to Christ and to change their lives. You see, if you try to straighten somebody else and you convince a man or a woman or a young person against their will, you may get them to externally do what you want them to do, but internally, they're still going to be committed to whatever it was that they were committed to. 
And so I'm going to ask you if you would, stand with me this morning. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so glad that you're joining us online. And maybe you just want to join, stand with us um, and join with us as we read the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to read you two passages from the book of Psalms. In Psalms chapter 11 and verse 7, for the righteous Lord loves justice and the virtuous will see his face. And then in Psalms 111, verse 3, everything he, everything God does reveals his glory and his majesty and his righteousness never fails. Father, I just want to confess to you and to everyone listening that there was a time in my life when this was such a frightening thought, the righteousness of God especially when I looked at how unrighteous I was. And even after becoming a Christian, realizing how far short I often fail of the glory of God and your righteousness. But I want to stand here today, Lord, at the very beginning of this message and just proclaim two things to you before these people. I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you are a righteous God for it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I sat down with a pen and paper, and I just began to think, what would happen in our nation? What would happen in our society? What would happen in our community? What would happen in the world? What would happen in my life and in your life? What would happen in the life of our church if suddenly there was a revolution of righteousness? And when I say revolution, I don't mean a rebellion or a coup, but I'm really talking about a transformation of righteousness that God brings about in our life. As I thought about that, I, I reflected on my message from a couple of weeks ago of how that our founding documents were based on a belief in the Word of God and upon the God who created this universe and created you and I. And so I, I began to think, what would happen if our government was really a righteous government? What would happen if the government served the people? What would happen if there was no more corruption in government or bribery in government? I've worked in a number of nations overseas where we had to pay government officials and we had to pay police. We had to pay for protection to be able to do what we were doing. It was just a part of the accepted culture of the system. And there was intimidation and threat. You could see the fear in the eyes of the people because of corrupt government. I began to think of what would happen if there was no more bribes, no more payoffs, if there were no more smoke-filled rooms. And then I thought about what would our communities be like because I can remember as a child when we slept at night with our windows open, we never locked a door, and that time has definitely come and gone. You know, but what would it be like if we didn't have to lock our doors? What would it be right, like if there was no more murder or no more violence or no more rape in our society today? Then I took my pen and I began to imagine what would it be like for families, if families were righteous, if dads were righteous dads. Now just think about that for a moment. If when you came home, you were a righteous dad. And then I thought about, you know, what would happen if children were always righteous, if our children were always godly children? And then I scratched that out because children most of the time are just basically pretty sweet. I was talking to a little child just before the, the service, the second service this morning, and I was amazed at their sweetness and their respect and kindness. And that's why I scratched out what I did because children are basically pretty sweet. And I wrote down what would happen if teenagers were righteous, you know, if teenagers behaved and lived the way that they were supposed to live. And then I thought about the church and I said, what would happen if Woodland Church was truly a righteous church? 
I thought about what the staff is always telling me, you know, you went a little long. And so I just began to wonder what would happen if the pastor always ended his message on time every Sunday. Well, I got real tickled thinking about that, and I thought, that ain't going to happen. And then I wrote down something that was an even bigger miracle. I wrote, what would happen if the people were always on time to church? And everybody got here five to ten minutes later. I thought, that would be a real <laughs> revival of righteousness. And you can imagine the fun I was having as I was going through all of this. Back in the days when I was traveling a lot, I sometimes would stay with people that I knew. Most of the time I stayed in a hotel, but... People who had large homes and people had a place that I could stay and I have some physical challenges that I have to take care of every day. And so they had a place that I was able to stay with them. And I can remember these families were families that I had known through the years, some I had known since college, godly people, good people. And I would watch her families at night. There were devotions, and I was included in those family devotions. And there were times as I watched the husband and wife interact with each other and children interact with each other. And I realized here is a righteous family. Here's a family that loves one another. One family that I stayed with, I, you know, they, they called me. They had a little apartment connected. They had a large home. And says, and he told me, he says, now I'm going to cook breakfast for everybody in the morning. That would be a revival of righteousness in my house if I cooked breakfast. But he says, I, I, I'm going to cook breakfast. And we all gathered around the table. We held hands and prayed. And it was just a wonderful experience before I went to church. And I thought to myself then, for people who think righteousness is boring, Friends, righteousness is the most exhilarating and joyful way to live. It is the way of love and peace and joy and kindness and self-control and humility and patience. I want that kind of life. And if you're thinking righteousness would be a boring life, then you really don't understand what righteousness is. And I understand that because we see so little of it take place. But what would happen... If there was a revival of righteousness, a revolution of righteousness in our lives, and what if it began with you? What if it began with you? What if it began with me? What would happen if God would somehow or another send this revival of righteousness to our lives? So let me tell you why it's no longer such a scary subject to me like it was, because number one, God is the essence of righteousness. That's who God is. It's the essence of righteousness. I was in Paris a number of years ago, and for a period of years, I had to be in Paris every year, and I went to a place where they made perfume, and I, I said, I want to smell the essence. I want to smell, and they said, you can't do that. And I go, why? He says, well, you couldn't take it. It would overwhelm you. And I said, really? He goes, yes. Yeah. You just couldn't handle the essence of the perfume. And so they took these little bitty vials of stuff that had been diluted to the place where I could handle it. And I remember thinking about that and journaling later, that must be what God is really like. We would just be overwhelmed by his presence because when Jesus appeared on the island of Patmos, John just fell in his presence. Even though he was the great apostle of love, he still was just overwhelmed by the presence of God. God is not righteous because of what he does. God is just righteous. And what he does comes out of his righteousness. God is not righteous because he keeps these laws or rules those laws and rules and principles that he gives us in his word, it's because God is righteousness himself. If you were to want to be theological about it, you would say God is intrinsically righteous. That's who God is. 
in Psalms 119 and verse 137, listen to these words. Oh, Lord, you are righteous and your regulations are fair. You are righteous. Would you circle that in your outline this morning? Or if you're using the app, maybe highlight it in your app. Lord, you are righteous. The second thing I'd want you to see this morning is God's word is righteous. God's word is a book of love. It's a book of peace. It's a book of hope. It's a book that will guide you. The psalmist said, it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All of God's word, his decrees, his laws, those principles that are there, his judgments, they're righteous, they're pure, they're good. The universe has this sense. And when I say the universe, I'm not just talking about planets. I'm talking about the created order and the spiritual order, the created world as we see it in the unseen world of heavenly beings and fallen beings. They know there's this sense of right and wrong. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. Philosophers have penned many books about this where they have said, and listen, Paul said, and these philosophers agree that people basically know what right from wrong is. A few years ago, back in the early part of the 2000s, there was a flurry of books by what I call angry atheists. And I was reading a philosopher who's not even a Christian who was reflecting upon these books, and he named the names of some of those best-selling books. He says, at best, this is cheap, cheap philosophy that's not even worthy of a place on a bookstore shelf. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me this morning. Sometimes when people react against the righteousness of God or the existence of God, it's not because of any intrinsic truth they have found. They've just decided, as Paul said, to reject the knowledge of good and evil. In Psalms 119 and verse 160, listen to this. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Now, I don't know about you. I can't say that everything that I've ever said to do has been righteous. I can't say that everything that I've told somebody to do has been the best decision. There have been a lot of decisions that I've made from time to time. Having more information, time would have passed. I would have probably made those decisions differently. But I don't look back with any regrets because I've sought to do the best that I can. But when it comes to God's word and God's decisions, what God has said is settled once and for all. And never can you find a time in history where you can say that anything that God has done or decreed is unrighteous. The third thing I'd like you to see this morning is God wants a revolution of righteousness to incur in our world. He wants that. You can't begin to imagine how much that God wants this revolution. And again, I'm not talking about a rebellion. I'm talking about a transformation. When I was a youth pastor, we used to talk about a revolution generation. There were a lot of songs in the rock and roll world during those days about revolution. Sometimes there would be songs like, so you want a revolution. But we talked about a revolution generation, a generation of children, a generation of students that would grow up to know God and love God and serve God. And we decided to order our lives along the word of the Lord. I can remember we would sit down and we would make covenants with one another. We would make covenants with God. We would write these covenants out. And we would keep these covenants. I just did a wedding for a young couple from the church, and they wrote an epistle to each other, an epistle, a covenant they made with one another. And they had those little books as they read out their covenant vows to each other after I had done the traditional wedding vows with them. And I remember standing there thinking, 
This is righteous. This is good. And then I pray, now God, give them the strength of character to live up to all that they're swearing to do and promising to one another. God wants that revolution of righteousness in our world. You see, in what I do, too often I get involved or have to get involved with the restoration or the rehabilitation or sometimes with a child that has been abused or tortured. And during that time when I hear the horror stories or I get involved with the horror stories, it's always a trusted adult. It's always a trusted figure. And those figures have ranged from politicians that I've been involved with to preachers that I've been involved with to school teachers that I've been involved with to stepfathers or stepmothers that I've been involved with through almost 50 years of pastoral ministry. And it never gets easy because you see the loss of innocence in a child. You see the scars that they carry carry through the rest of their lives for them. You understand something has been taken from them they'll have to struggle with for the rest of their life because of the violence of a predator. It's horrible. But what's even worse is when I have to deal with those people who want to justify the predator. He's just a victim or she's just a victim of her circumstances or they're just a victim of what has happened to them in their past and so they're preying upon others. Hear me today, we will never see a whole and a healed and a just society as long as we try to justify unrighteousness. We need a revolution of the righteousness of God that will bring the peace and the love and the joy and the self-control that the new life that Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us. And so it is a revolution in the sense that it is a life transformation. Arnold Toynbee, a respected historian, said, nations, cultures, and empires are never destroyed from the outside, but they destroy themselves. Their self-destruction is always due to defects in their character. Their self-destruction is always due to defects in their character. That's a word. That's a word we need to hear today. That's a word our nation needs to hear and Isaiah, the prophet, says, at night, I yearn for you with all my heart. Can't you feel that? I hope you can feel that. I, I have felt that, that yearning for God, that yearning for his presence, that longing. I, I felt that longing when I've been away from my family or been, when I've been away from this congregation to where you yearn. And the prophet goes on, he says, I yearn for you with all my heart. In the morning, my spirit reaches out to you. What's he saying? I, I'm lifting my hands. I'm praying. I'm, I'm confessing your word. And when you display your judgments on the earth, people learn the ways of righteousness. What's he saying? Those laws that he gives us, those principles that he gives us, Jesus sums them up with the great commission and the great commandment when he tells us that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love one another as we love ourselves. Jesus says this sums up all of the law. It's not as complicated as some people try to make it. And then the great commission, go and share this good news with everyone. It's not about trying to straighten people out. It's not about me trying to straighten the presence out. It's not about me trying to straighten the backslider out or straighten anyone else out. It's believing in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit that like Spurgeon when he walked up to the pulpit, this sermon is not going to change anybody, but this is a life-giving message, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people unto Jesus Christ. 
That's the yearning that we have. And you can't begin to understand. You can't begin to fathom, and I can't begin to fathom how badly and how much God wants this revolution of righteousness to occur in our world. There's coming a day when those nations will beat their weapons into plowshares. There's coming a day when there'll be no more war, there'll be no more murder, there'll be no more crime. Friends, I long for that day. But in this time, you and I now, we have to be thankful for the righteousness of God, for we know that unrighteousness is not in control. God is in control. That's what we have to remind ourselves of. So what do we do? First, we reestablish God's will of righteousness in our own lives. We reestablish God's will of righteousness in our own lives. I told you earlier, righteousness is defined as the essence of God. That overcoming, that sense, that overwhelming fragrance of who God is. When I live righteously, now, now follow me here. When I live righteously, I'm living according to what God has revealed in the Scripture. When I live self-righteously, I'm living according to the way that I think I ought to live. And so oftentimes, Christians have been accused of being self-righteous. Listen, if you, if you see a self-righteous Christian, understand this, that is not a righteous Christian. Because a righteous Christian is seeking to live after the heart of God, to love his enemies, to forgive his enemies, to love one another. Remember what I said about when dads are, are, are righteous in the home and they're loving their wives, when wives are, are righteous in the home and they're loving their husbands. When you see righteous people, they're living according to God's truth. In the Bible, there was a time, there was a time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, the Bible says. And that book is called Judges, and it goes on to describe the oppression. It goes on to describe the horror. It goes on to describe the terrors that take place when people choose to do things God's way. Occasionally, somebody will come in and they say, I need help, I need counseling, and, and they'll tell me, say, but I don't want to hear anything from the Bible. And I said, well, I have nothing to share with you then, because everything that I tell you, it comes from the one who loves you best, the one who loves you most, the one who understands why you're doing what you're doing. The world is not going to help you, but God will bring you the life you need. My righteousness depends upon God's power in me, not upon me being perfect. Remember I told you earlier, this used to scare me. I can remember as a child when I'd hear messages about the righteousness of God and how unrighteous we were. It just terrified me. As a teenager, as a, as a young adult, I just never felt I could reach that standard and reach that pinnacle. And I remember one Sunday morning, I was in the back of a church praying, and I was just weeping. There was no gross sin. There were no bad habits. It's just that I knew how far short of God's glory that I felt. And I was kneeling, praying in the back of this church before I was supposed to preach. And then suddenly, it was like the Holy Spirit filled that room. I don't mean to be mystical, but it was just like the whole little room was filled with the presence of God. And that verse of scripture that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus flooded my soul. And then I realized it wasn't anything I could do or you could do that made us righteous. It's what Christ did for us at Calvary. So when we were singing this morning, I found myself looking up at that cross a couple of times going, Jesus, thank you. 
Thank you for fulfilling all righteousness. Thank you for fulfilling and doing what I could not accomplish. Professor William Kilpatrick from Boston College wrote a book, Why Johnny Can't Tell Right from Wrong, Moral Illiteracy for Character Education. And he goes on to tell how for 18 centuries in the Western world, we taught our young people how to look up. We taught our young people, we taught our children how to look to God, how God would make you honest, how God would help you overcome your temper, how God would help you live a self-controlled life. For 18 centuries, we taught to look up. And then during the Enlightenment, somehow or another, we began to buy into the teachings, for instance, of Kant. Kant who told us that we were smart. Kant who told us that we didn't need to look up. We just needed to think better. And if we thought better, we would live better lives. And that was called rationalism. And then along came Rousseau. And Rousseau told us, he says, you know, all we have to do is listen to our hearts because basically man is good. Human beings are good, he's saying. Denying what the Bible says, that every inclination of man's heart was evil. And he says, as the heart unfolds, that we will get better and better and better. We call that romanticism. And then it progressed to Nietzsche. And Nietzsche came along and says, it's about power. If you want something in your life, then you've got to seize power, and you've got to do it. You've got to use your willpower, and that's how Hitler killed so many Jewish people, our Jewish brothers and sisters, as he, as he destroyed their lives. And friends, I want to tell you, the further we stray from the righteousness of God, we don't go into enlightenment. We go into a darkening of the soul and a darkening of our community. And so I want to share with you this morning as we close this message today, that first of all, you need to know God's standard has withstood the test of time and never fallen. Thank God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you were free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. That's an interesting passage to me. Paul's writing at this at a time where slavery was legal in the world. I've visited nations and been to places I've met slaves, people who in other cultures and other societies, they are owned. They're tethered like animals. I've met children tethered like animals because they belong to somebody else and you say, it's horrible, it's awful. It is, it's beyond your imagination of what happens to people like this. But Paul uses these people who are tethered and bound and abused and beaten. Paul uses these people to illustrate to you and I what sin does to our life. It's like the slave that is tethered. It's like the elephant that's tethered at the zoo. It's like a hot air balloon or a helium-filled balloon that's tethered to the ground that cannot rise to do what it's designed to do until it's free. And my friends, we cannot become what we're supposed to be until the power of sin has been broken in our lives and our sins have been forgiven. And Paul tells us that we are free from the sin of slavery. I don't know if you've ever met a free person. I don't know if you've ever met someone that's escaped from slavery. They live here in our community. They live here in the metro area. People that have escaped from bondage and slavery, they rejoice in their freedom, but you still will never be what you're going to be until Christ sets you free from a slavery to sin that produces the violence, that produces the crime, that produces the murder, that produces the selfishness, 
that produces the self-righteousness that says, you know what, I'm better than they are because I live a better life than they do. You see, and that's what turns people off to Christianity. It's because self-righteous, quote, Christians think they're better than everybody else. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And none of us will make heaven our home except through the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Salvation is not a moral improvement plan. Salvation is not a, a way that we design ourselves to get better. My car broke down, and I had to have it towed, and was being towed over to Vito's shop, and the tow truck driver wanted me to ride with him. And while we were talking in the car, he, he, he knew me. He says, Preacher, I want you to ride with me. And he says, you know, I've been listening to you. And he says, you know, you think people are going to change. He said, I got news for you. Adulterers are going to continue to commit adultery. Drug addicts are going to continue to be drug addicts. Liars are going to be continue to be liars. And he went through this whole list of things. And he says, Preacher, you're going to always dis be disappointed because you expect people to change. And what a joy it was to tell that tow truck driver, here's how I've seen people change because God breaks the power, cancels the power, sets us free from our slavery to sin, and we are no longer what we used to be. We are brand new people in Jesus Christ. That's what God does in our lives. I have letters and emails and testimonies of people whose lives have been changed. This thing that I'm telling you now, I've had attorneys tell me, I've had mental health workers tell me people can't change. We can't change ourselves, but God can change us and make us into brand new creations in Christ. He doesn't grab you. He doesn't force you, but God wins you over by his love. And I hope, like me, you're going to find yourself grateful that he is a righteous God. So let me ask you to do these two things this week. Number one, pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Seek after it. Chase it down. Hunt for it. Look for it. It won't come looking for you. But I promise you, if you pursue righteousness, blessings will follow in your life. You know, you only, you only get better at something if you practice it right. Do, do you know what I'm saying? If you practice the wrong thing, you'll get better at doing it wrong. You know, they don't ever ask me to sing around here because I practice songs and I get them all wrong. But they're all right the way I practice them. Matter of fact, they're perfect the way I practice them. The words aren't even the correct words, but they're perfect words for me because I practice them so much, I know the wrong words rather than the right words. And they're good words, and God enjoys them when I sing them. You know, Becky does it, but God does. But I practice the wrong thing. And so it's not a matter of practice makes perfect. It's practicing the right thing. Pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness in a godly life along with faith love, perseverance, and gentleness. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Would you read that with me this morning? Pursue righteousness in a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that, I mean, think of it. Doesn't that sound good? Don't you want your wife to be loving? Don't you want your husband to be patient? Don't you want your kids to develop that character quality of persevering and not giving up? And don't we all want to live gently? It's what the Bible says. We're being asked now to live gently upon the earth. And we're being asked to be gentle in how we treat the planet. Why can't we be gentle with how we treat people as well? Train yourself, First Timothy 4, 7 says, 
Train yourself to be godly. And then finally today, let's discipline ourselves for the purpose of righteousness in all of our relationships. Let's purpose this week that we'll be, we'll be righteous in all of our relationships. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but when our little dog, Zach, was still living before he went the way of all doggies, he would come downstairs with me in the morning when I'd come get my coffee, and one particular morning I came downstairs, and it was still dark. It's about 4.30 in the morning, and I came down. Zach was coming down the stairs with me, and I stumbled over some of our kids' shoes. And I can't tell you how many times their mothers told them, put your shoes in the closet. I told them, put the shoes in the closet. And I don't know about you, but do you ever just get up some mornings and you're grumpy? You don't have to admit that. I'll admit it. I was grumpy that morning. I don't know why. It just didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. It wasn't sick. It just didn't feel righteous. I stumbled over those shoes, and I turned around, and I thought, how many times have we told these fatheads, put your shoes in the closet? I kicked those shoes across the room. Zach looked up at me because my anger was expressed at doggy level. Shoes went flying towards him. Zach looked at me, and then he took off and ran back upstairs to the safety of Becky. I know what he was thinking in his doggy mind. This is a dangerous man right now. This is a violent man right now. And his violence is being taken out at my level. I'm going to get out of his way. It wasn't a good devotional prayer time because it was the kid's fault for not listening to their mom and I. Finally, when I got to church and my study, and I've got to sit down and prepare a message, I realized I'm just not in a good place. I'm not in a good, so I wrote, I said, Lord, I'm not in a good place today. You probably don't want me working on a sermon today. I am dangerous right now. I called one of my prayer partners and I said, I'm not in a good place. I told him what I just told you. He started laughing. He says, we're all in that place sometime. And he prayed for me. Being righteous doesn't mean you're perfect. You're going to have bad days. But if I'd given in to that and says, the gospel doesn't work, or I wouldn't be like this, if I'd have given up on God because I had a bad day, if I gave up on God because I had a bad investment, if I gave up on God because I had a bad experience in church, if I gave up on God and His plan for my life because I had a bad relationship, if I gave up when something bad happened, and if I want to blame it on other people, the kids shouldn't have left their shoes there. If I want to blame it on my circumstances, then I'm justifying my immoral behavior. Kicking the shoes, I'm justifying my unrighteousness. And sure, it doesn't have the consequences for other people that it had for that child. But I'm on that path 
therefore I justify unrighteousness rather than pursue righteousness in all my relationships. Righteousness was the thing that frightened Martin Luther most. And the reason we're here in this church today and there are so many other Protestant churches is because Martin Luther was angry at God because he could never be righteous enough to please God until it dawned on him one day that he was now, because of Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have preached at the ruins of little church buildings that don't exist anymore, where small gatherings of Christians worshiped. I have preached in little grass huts where small gatherings of Christians gather and worship. I preached in fields of pompous grass where small gatherings of Christians gather to worship. I preached in the bottom of a bombed out building where small gatherings of Christians hid to worship. It's not the building that makes the church. Becky and I have stood in the Vatican and we've stood in other beautiful religious places filled and adorned with the most magnificent art you could imagine. But those buildings are not what Jesus Christ died to make sacred and holy. He died for you and me. And he rose again so that we could have life and have life more abundantly. And the righteousness of God manifest itself and the love and the peace and the patience and the gentleness and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control that he gives to all who say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I can sing it as well with my soul, with my brothers and sisters here this morning as well as those online, not because of my righteousness, but because, God, you are a righteous God. So I pray for all of us this week that you'll help us to pursue righteousness. I pray, secondly, Lord, you'll help us to pursue the purpose of righteousness in all of our relationships so we can look one another in the eyes with love and trust and confidence. And finally, Lord Jesus, I pray for those this morning that may have never crossed the line God, would you deliver them? Would you set them free? Would you help them? Would you open up their eyes to see their lives as they really are? If we were born into slavery, we may never know that we were free. We were created for freedom. So I pray, Holy Spirit, not that you straighten them out, but that you break the chains and you make them free in Christ Jesus today. And if you want to be free, if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to live righteously, would you just pray this prayer with me right now? I'm going to look right at you. You just pray with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for setting me free through Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiving all of my sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to begin a revolution of righteousness in my life. Make me a brand new person in Christ Jesus. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. 
Well, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and make you prosperous and productive in everything you do. Go in the peace and the grace of the Holy Spirit today. God bless you.